0: Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us to this point in this service. Father, I just pray that the words today will touch someone, meet them where they're at. May these words be from you, Lord, and all this ask I ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. As I said earlier, there were so many things in this um, Torah portion. And I started studying like a month ago. And because these things don't come easy to me, unlike Rabbi Scott. Kind of sit in awe of him every week. Um, You know, these things take me hours and days and um, so yesterday literally all day I was working on this and he'd text me a couple of things oh I need you to do this and I'm like uh, no leave me alone I'm studying he sent me something else leave me alone I'm studying <laughs> so it was literally all day until about 8 o'clock last night and then we got done and I looked at Natalie and I'm like where are we going for dinner so <laughs> We went to dinner because I had nothing cooked and nothing out, and yeah, so we hit Provenos and had Italian. Because, you know, everybody needs some good carbs after you've studied all day, right? (laughs) So, and then we just had to top it off with some tiramisu because I was just at that point. So, and honestly, it just, I've been, I've been craving, I have to be honest with you, I've been craving tiramisu for about two weeks. And I had it, and it just, didn't, it just didn't do it for me. I have to be honest with you. I'm like, hmm, I thought it was going to taste better than this. So, eh, oh well. But anyway, we are going to talk about Jacob today. Um, hopefully I can bring maybe a different perspective to this. Um, Terry, what did we end up titling this? I, we threw about three different titles out. Encountering God in Dark Places is what we ended up titling this. We threw about three titles out. So I'm never good with titles. I like to get help because I'm not good with titles. So we called this Encountering God in Dark Places. Um, So we'll see. um, Whitley, I don't know if this is going to be a fasten your seatbelt one or not. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But I want to throw a question out to you guys. Who do you think of When you think of a religious hero of the Torah, the half Torah, who really kind of comes to your mind when you think of that? Okay. Joseph, I heard Gideon, David, Moses. Okay, Apparently, apparently Jacob's not really high on your list, is he? No, no. He's not really the obvious choice of a hero, is he? I mean, he, he's not like, he doesn't have Abraham's courage. He doesn't have Isaac's faithfulness and self-restraint, right? He doesn't have Moses' vigor and passion. Doesn't have David's politics and poetry. Doesn't have Isaiah's lyricism and hope. You know, Jacob, he was a man. He was surrounded by conflict, right? Couldn't we all agree on that? He had conflict with his brother Esau. He had conflict with his father-in-law Laban. How many of you can say you have conflict with your father-in-laws, right? Or your brothers. He had conflict with his wives. Uh, I don't want to hear about that. (laughs) He had conflict with his children. You know, whose sibling rivalry actually ended up getting them exiled to Egypt. Right? His life, you know, probably would have been a good reality tv program for nowadays right i mean it was just he was it was filled with tension it was filled with conflict it was filled with struggle you know everything you see when you read about jacob you know and i think because of that a lot of us can kind of relate to jacob right you know a lot of us kind of feel like we are struggling in life we've got conflict in our life you know, and when we read about Jacob, it always seems like he's escaping from run trouble to the next trouble to the next trouble, right? You know, and nothing came easily to Jacob. We can't just say Jacob had a life of ease. But one thing that really struck out to me about Jacob is do you realize that he alone of the patriarchs was a man who chose to be chosen? Let me repeat that. He chose to be chosen. Abraham was called by God. Isaac was chosen before his birth. Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these were all singled out by God for their mission, but not Jacob. Let's look at Genesis 25, verses 31 through 33. Genesis 25, 31 through 33. So Jacob said, sell your birthright to me today. Esau said, look, I'm about to die of whatever use is this to me, a birthright. Jacob said, make a pledge to me now. So he made a pledge to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So what do we see here? We see that Esau had a total disregard of his birthright. Esau was very short-sighted. Who's going to die from hunger right then and there? He hadn't been starving for days. He came in from hunting. He saw a bowl of red stew, lentils, whatever it was. He was hungry. He wanted to eat. That bowl of stew ended up being the most costly mistake of his life. That was really expensive. That was some really expensive stew. That was was more than that. Kobe Japanese beef out there at, you know, what, $99 an ounce or whatever you want to call it. This was some expensive stuff. But Esau wanted it. He wanted instant gratification. We see it in the Torah right there. Give it to me now. Instant gratification. Materialistic. I got to have it. Can't wait for it. Birthright? Oh, gosh, that's when dad dies. Who cares about that? this is in front of me now let me have it now you know instant gratification is so tempting and it gets us in so much trouble right think about those Black Friday Amazon deals that just scroll across the top of Amazon don't they look good Mm mm-hmm although I will admit I do like my new air fryer I'm just saying (laughs) but that was not an Amazon purchase I was in Sam's but I am liking my new air fryer it does really good for us. Yeah. So, you know, and we have, we have instant access to everything, guys. Information, food, entertainment, comfort, shopping. Shop at home. Drive up. They'll put your groceries in, the sh- in your car. You don't even have to walk through the aisles of the grocery store if you don't want to. Someone else will pick out your own groceries for you. Sorry, I can't go there. I like to pick out my own vegetables. Right? You know, I have this thing about grapes. I'll share a little Judy here. If I'm going to eat a grape, it's got to be, it can't be, it can't be squishy. It's got to be a firm grape. It can't be squishy grapes. Don't bring me squishy grapes. I can't do squishy grapes. So I don't think people are going to pick my produce and go, oh, is this a squishy grape or not? So, no, I pick my own produce. Sorry about that. So, no. But, you know, instant gratification. We want it easy for us. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to wait for it, do we? You know, it's like, we're like Esau. We're drawn to colorful packaging. We're drawn to that slick marketing campaign. We're on Facebook and we see that sponsored post, that ad, that video that says, oh, here, here, just next, this next, just have to have it item that's going to make, you know, you slimmer, feel better, erase the lines in your face. You know, then God forbid you click on it because then they got you and then your Facebook feed is gonna be full of this stuff. You know, and then, like Amazon, you think you want it, and then it starts showing up in your Facebook feed. You don't even have to say you want it. You may even say you want it, and you don't even click on it, and then it shows up in your Facebook feed, right? Oh, maybe I want a toaster, and then, oh, look, there's a toaster, a sponsored post. Love how these things go on, right? You know, you just it's just one click, and you've got it, and it delivers to your house. And now, I'm gonna tell it myself again. Apparently, this is Judy's day to tell on herself. So we got um, a thing for our garage door that we can open from our phones because we thought it would help my mother because my mother cannot open our garage door with our outside keypad. Don't ask me. My mother is 84, okay? I love her, but she cannot open our our keypad. So we bought the thing, put the app on her phone. Of course, the first time, she still somehow logged herself out of the device. (sighs) So we just leave the back door unlocked, but nobody heard that. Uh, (laughs) So we got her logged back in. So now she can just go, bring up the app, bring it up, hit the button, she gets in. Well, because of the device we have, it works with Amazon Key. So now they will actually come. They tell me they're coming. They'll open my garage door. They'll put the stuff in my garage, and they close my garage door. It's really cool. But I did find out because I was home one day when they were doing this, and I said, oh, I'll close it. No, 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 no. They have to close it with their device, otherwise it doesn't work. So it's like a built-in security measure. So yeah, now I can order things, and they'll actually deliver it into my garage. Just another level. So anyway, back to, sorry, little butterfly there. Um, You know, so, you know, we, we just, we stay in places because they're comfortable. You know, we we stay in. We put off projects because it's easy. We put off deadlo- doing things right before a deadline because there's other things in front of our face. You know, we'll we'll ch- we'll stay in an unhappy situation because it takes effort to pursue something else, right? So Jacob. Bought the birthright and he took the blessing, and it was he who chose to carry Abraham's destiny into the future. As Bobby was talking about at 10 a.m., Jacob was born holding onto his brother's Esau heels. And that was consistently his posture during key events of his early life that we see. He bought his brother's birthright, he wore his brother's clothes. At his mother's request, he took his brother's blessing. And when he asked, when asked by his father, who are you, my son? He replied, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Jacob was the man who wanted to be Esau. Now, why do I say that? Because Esau had the one thing that Jacob didn't have. And what was that? His father's love. Genesis 25 28 says, And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac craved his father's love. But like all good stories, we've got a plot twist. Esau comes to regret his youthful rash, i.e. instant gratification decision when the time comes for the actual blessings to occur. You know, he probably figured, oh, Jacob will just forget this. Yeah, Jacob really won't hold him to this. But if we really look inside of us, like most of us, he's going to put the blame of his mistake on others. Oh, that Jacob, look, he just stole my blessing again. He's done this the whole life, you know, rather than admitting his own mistakes, errors, and weakness. So once the blessings have been given out, now we see the tables turn, and now we see Esau wants to be like Jacob because Esau wants the blessings. But Esau wants to have them without having to behave within the restraint and without the outlook of life that's characterized Jacob. So he wants what Jacob wants, but he doesn't want to have to behave like Jacob behaves. He wants his cake, and he wants to eat it too. So now we see, as with most situations, there's ramifications. There's consequences to actions. So as a result of the deceitful way that Jacob gained the blessings of his father, he's now got to leave home. He's in fear of his life. He's in fear of his brother's wrath. And he's got to flee. So as he's fleeing, his thoughts are elsewhere. You know, Am I leaving in enough time? Esau's a hunter. He knows how to track. Is he following me? Am I leaving a trail? Imagine all these things going through his mind, right? And then he's thinking about to Laban, who he's traveling, because, you know, he's probably heard some things about his about Laban that's not probably been the best, right? So he's got to stop for the night. You know, and he's, he's just troubled. You got to imagine. I'm stopping. Am I going to be safe? Is Esau going to come after me? You know, did Mom hold him back? Did they, you know what's going on? You know, is, is 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 my uncle gonna accept me? What is he gonna do? You know, and in this troubled mind, there comes a vision, and we got a vision of God and angels and a stairway connecting heaven and earth, and he's done nothing to prepare for this. This is totally unexpected. Jacob literally encounters God the same way we sometimes encounter a familiar face and a crowd of strangers. And this was a meeting that was brought on by God, not by man. Jacob was a man whose greatest vision came to him when he was alone at night far from home, fleeing from one danger to the next. It was unplanned. It was unscheduled. It was un- unexpected. And guess what? Sometimes when God meets us, it's inconvenient. And these are the times that God will call to us. Unplanned, unscheduled, unexpected, inconvenient. The vision, the voice, the call. We can never know in advance when it's coming. But when it comes, and if we answer, it will leave us transformed. Now, there were two very decisive spiritual encounters in Jacob's life. We've just talked about one, the latter. The other one is the wrestling with the angel. And both of these happen... At a time of transition for Jacob. At a time when Jacob was actually at risk in both directions. From where he was coming from and to where he was going. These were the points of greatest vulnerability for Jacob. And that's where he encountered God. And that's where he found the courage to continue despite the hazards that he may encounter. So Jacob tells us, if we are listening, that precisely when you feel the most alone, God is still with you, giving you the courage to hope and the strength to continue And that you can overcome your fear. But one thing that I thought was interesting in his encounter with the latter was notice that Jacob was surprised. In Genesis 28 16, he says, Undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. So sometimes we're going to encounter God in places that we are unaware he is. Yes, we rationally know God is everywhere, but we will still encounter him in places that we don't expect to encounter him. And it's usually the exact places that he knows we need, but we don't know we need, but he knows we need. Because those are the places that usually we have finally gotten ourselves out of the way where he can actually make an impact on us. And sometimes our deepest spiritual experiences come when we least expect them and when we're closest to despair, when all of our masks are stripped away and God can get to us. when we're at our point of maximum vulnerability, that's when we can be the most fully open to God. And that's when he's going to be the most fully open to us. Because when we're sitting out there and things are going good and we got money in the bank account And school's going good, and our grades are going good. Where's God? Oh, he's somewhere. Do we really think give him that much credit? We know he's there. But we're just cruising. You know, it's like that automatic car. It just goes. But when you put it in a manual... That's when you got to pay a little more attention to your gears, and are you going uphill, are you going downhill, are you having to stop? How are you doing those those gears? You know? And that's kind of like our relationship with God. Are we in a manual situation, or are we in an automatic situation? Now, let me tell you, I don't drive a manual for a reason, because I probably wouldn't have a transmission. And I know that just kills Dan Richmond back there, that I don't drive a manual car. But there is a reason. But when you're driving a manual, you're paying attention. There is a reason when I go on long car trips, I don't put my cruise control on. Because then I zone. If I keep my foot on that gas, then I got to be aware that I'm going a consistent temperature. Good grief. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) a consistent speed. Well, and then I got to make sure I'm not going too fast, but we won't talk about that. Okay? When we are really aware and we let ourselves be open, then we allow God in. But you know what? If we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of times we don't want to let God in. Because we don't want to do what he's going to call us to do. Oh, God may ask me to do something. Really? We're getting to that point. Psalms thirty four eighteen says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Sorry, guys, my, I'm really, I feel dehydrated today for some reason. Psalm 51:17 says, "My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit; a broken and contrite heart, you God will not despise." Psalm 147:3 says, "God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds." So we find God not only in holy and familiar places, but also in the midst of a journey in the middle of the night. We're not only going to find God right here. We're going to find God out there. says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So the most profound thing that we should know It's the knowledge that we are not alone. We may feel it. We may feel it. Our mind may tell us that because the mind is the playground of the enemy. But we are not alone. And the more we tell ourselves that and the more that moves into our heart that we are not alone. That God is always with us, the more we'll open ourselves up. God is holding our hand, He is sheltering us, He is lifting us up when we fall. We will fall just because we're believers, doesn't mean that we're not going to experience stuff. Okay, He's gonna forgive us when we fail, He's gonna heal our wounds. It says, He heals the brokenhearted. Well, if he heals the brokenhearted, that means you're going to be brokenhearted. But he will heal. He binds up the wounds. Hence, you will have wounds, but he will heal. Saves those who are crushed in spirit, meaning you're going to experience sadness you're going to experience all of these things but he's going to be there we're not going to be on the spiritual high 24 7 365 you know we normally assume that these great spiritual encounters happen in a desert or a mountaintop or a wilderness or a monastery or a retreat You know, oh, I've got to go on this retreat. I've got to go to this retreat. I've got to go to that retreat. All these people have to go to all these retreats because I've got to be prepared and I've got to do something and I've got to be ready. But that wasn't Jacob. Jacob was never ready when he met God. He was not ready. He was alone and he was in a dark and dangerous place and he was unprepared. So when you're unprepared, God will meet you, but then you've got to be ready to meet him. And that's what Jacob tells us. Jacob found God in dark nights and dangerous places. When his mind was running around crazy, God met him. He found God when he was unprepared. So my question is, have you found God? Have you really encountered God like Jacob has? Have you really stripped your mask down? What has your dark nights and your dangerous places looked like? What does your faith look like when things aren't going according to your plans? Does it really take a crisis for you to realize that you're really self-centered and it's really all about you? Two times in the life of Jacob, we see him fleeing in fear. The first time, he's a single man. The second time, he's married, he's got wives, he's got children, he's got herds, he's got wealth. But despite God's assurances and despite being 20 years or so away from his brother Esau, he is still afraid of him. What does that tell you? For 20 years, this man's walked around with fear of his brother. In the back of his mind. There's always been some thought in the back of his mind, I wonder if Esau's going to find me. I wonder if today's the day. He probably never verbalized it, but it was always there. So what do you have in the back of your mind that you haven't verbalized, but it's always there? Is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? Can you imagine all the crazy scenarios that went through his mind in 20 years? Think of all the crazy things that go in your mind about this thing that's bothering you that you don't want to admit. What are you afraid of? Like I said, getting close to God, what God might require of you, making a change, dying, being alone. What is your fear? Because fear will paralyze. But you know, there's, One thing to overcoming fear is to realize the difference between fear and danger. Fear is protective when there's real danger. There's a tornado coming to touch down, okay? That fear helps you to survive a danger. But feelings of discomfort trick us into believing there's danger which is actually a misinterpretation. Speaking up here is not going to kill you. A fear of being up here is not going to kill you. Correct, Whitley? Right, Whitley? You survived. You faced a fear and you survived. Let me tell you, at my house, I know the minute my daughter sees an insect in her room. I can be anywhere. I hear it she screams it's funny I laugh yes I see you back there because she has she doesn't like these things I know the minute it happens there's the scream it goes through the whole house yeah I'll do it to you too you want to have a standoff yeah you are and you just thought Whitley was gonna be called out yeah The other day, it was a spider that got in her bed. I told her it was desensitivity training. She didn't like that. (laughs) You're welcome. Maybe. Hey, this is why why we have kids. It gives us fodder for messages. (laughs) See, you're getting a round of applause. I will move on, honey. I love you. You're welcome. So there, there are fears that are just minor. And then there are fears that paralyze you. There are fears that keep you from moving on. So you need to confront your fears. You need to take charge and confront what scares you in order to reinforce this, that the discomfort isn't going to bring you death. And it's not helpful when fear keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. There's a lot of us that don't do what God has called us to do because we're afraid. We're afraid of, oh, what is that going to mean? What's that going to do to my lifestyle? What's my friends going to think about me? I'm going to look foolish. I'm up here, oh well, if I look foolish, oh well. If I look scary, well, you guys think that already, so I'm just reinforcing the, um, <coughs> the perception. So, you know, your point is, sometimes you just gotta own it, right? I'd rather obey God and look foolish than let fear hold me back from what God wants me to do. You know? I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. When, when Scott and I were first married, okay, so I'm an only child, and Scott is number four out of four. So it was very intimidating, an only child coming into a very large family. Very intimidating. <laughs> Especially when you're an introvert. Um, so I would just sit back a lot and just go, <laughs> um, because you know, and especially the kids were little then, you know, and there were four, there was Logan, Jordan, and Adam, and then Jenny came along, so it was just, it was a lot of chaos for me, and they were loud, and they would all talk in and out, and jumping in and out of conversations, and I've learned this, and you know, being an only child, my house was really calm, and we didn't have a lot of conflict, and I didn't do well with conflict at all. And it's taken me a long time to get well with conflict. And especially getting in ministry umpteen years ago, I did not like conflict. I would try to avoid meetings and everything that I could because I didn't like conflict. Um, and it was a fear thing. Um, I would, you know, my, I, I would feel like an elephant was sitting on my chest, really. Um, didn't like conflict. But, It was really kind of interesting Um, over the last few months. I've realized I'm not I'm not having the same sensations that I used to have. Um, You know, somebody said, "Well, I want to talk to you." Used to let me make me go. Oh no! What's up? What's going on? What is that about? You know, and I'd automatically go into almost a panic mode. That oh, this is going to be something bad. Now I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. You know, so I've I've gotten a little more. It's it's just what I said. I've had more experience with it, and I've realized it's not always bad, so it doesn't always have to be a fear-based thing now. So there really is something to be said about facing a fear and realizing, getting through the discomfort, that it's not going to kill you. So I've learned that now when somebody says, oh, I need to talk to you, that I can control my thoughts and not go down that place because, oh, okay, it's probably not bad. But if fear does control your thoughts, you're going to be ineffective and you're going to be immobilized and you're even possibly going to be disobedient to God. So the fear can freeze us and we're stuck and we're missing out on what God has for us, or it's going to detour us, and we're going to end up someplace we don't want to be. And fear can come in all shapes and sizes. And you can fear success as much as failure. Oh, but if I'm successful, that means I have to keep being successful, and then people are going to expect me to keep being successful. Isn't that a weird one? But it can be. Do you realize that Jacob, Moses, and Jonah were all afraid also? What were they afraid of? Because none of them were cowards, they were all afraid of their mission or their calling. Moses kept telling God at the burning bush, who am I? They're not going to believe me. I'm a man of of not words. I can't talk. I stutter. I don't want to do this, God. Jonah was reluctant to deliver a message from God to Israel's enemies. And Jacob had just said to God, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faith that you've shown me. And they weren't the only people in the Tanakh who had this kind of fear. The prophet in Isaiah told God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Jeremiah said, I can't speak, I'm a child. So this isn't physical fear. This fear comes from feeling inadequate. Who am I to lead the Jewish people, said Moses? Who am I to deliver the words of God, said prophets? Who am I to stand before my brother Esau knowing that I'll continue the covenant and not him? Said Jacob. Personal inadequacy is another type of fear. It's not just a fear of insects, a fear of reptiles, a fear of storms, a fear of whatever. It's a fear of of what's inside of you. But the courage comes in, and courage doesn't mean not having any fear. It means having fear but overcoming it. And if it is true of physical courage, it's no less true of moral or spiritual courage. Do not be afraid of greatness. That's why God wrestled with Jacob. Moses and Jonah and wouldn't let them escape. He saw something in them. Just like he sees something in every single one of you. He sees it in you, and you, and you, and you, and you, you, no matter your age, no matter your station in life, no matter what you're doing. He sees something in you. We all have a spark of the divine in us. So, if you have the spark of the divine in you, what are you doing with it? What are you doing to make that spark grow brighter? Do you have a little spark or do you have a big spark? Do you want to have a little spark or do you want to have a bonfire? What are you doing to feed the fire? That's the question. But sometimes we have to reach a breaking point. We have to get to the lowest of our lows in order to let go of all of this resistance that's within us to allow God to change us. Because we are too stubborn We are too prideful. We are holding on to too much junk. So God has to strip it all away to get our attention. And I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it every time you ask me. God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not going to do it your way because that's the way you want it done. He's not name it and claim it. He's not heal it my way. I should know, right? Because if he was, I wouldn't be having knee issues, right? He's not fix it my way. He's not bring reconciliation my way. Get the my out of the way and let God work. Sometimes God wants to work through other people. He's not going to do it your way because that's the way you want it done. Get your stubbornness out of the way. If if you keep saying, God, heal me, God, heal me, God, heal me, and he hasn't healed you, maybe there's another way he wants it done. If you're saying, God, bring reconciliation, 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 and he hasn't, maybe there's another way he wants it done. If you keep praying and nothing's happening, maybe there's another way God wants it done because you're wanting it done your way, not his way. So maybe you need to step back and get out of the way and get the my out of the way. And he'll let you keep beating your head against the wall as long as you want to beat your head against the wall. How long do you want to be stubborn? How long do you want to be prideful? If you demand your way, God's going to let you do it your way. But you know what? You're not going to have the results. And guess who's eventually going to win? You know, we do a lot of damage to ourselves, spiritually and physically, when we get stuck in a certain mindset or believe something a certain way and believe that God's only going to operate one way because he's not a genie in a bottle. He has a lot more vast resources at his disposal than we can ever imagine. Because our brain is only this big. And he's this big. For those of you who like visuals. Well, my arms only go so far, Maya. (laughs) You know, I've had several discussions with a couple of people this week about change and courage and fear, and little did I know it was all going to come together today. Kind of funny. Kind of freaky if you ask me, but okay. Fear drove Jacob to dark places where he encountered God. Where is your fear driving you, though? Is it driving you to God or away from God? And courage is fear holding on for one more minute. Courage overcomes fear in that one minute when you think you can't hold on anymore and the fear is going to overwhelm you, but you do hold on one more minute. Courage is the deliberate decision to trust God and obey him no matter what you're feeling. And as you do, your fears then become opportunities, not obstacles. So look at your most obvious challenges and ask yourself if you're trying to avoid them, ignore them, do them your way, or if you're dealing with them and dealing with them God's way. So we have two encounters over the last two partial weeks which provide us some rich material to chew on and to apply to our, our physical and spiritual lives. And faith and fear both have something in common. They ask us to believe in something we cannot see. Fear will set the limits of life, and faith expands the boundaries of life. So what do you choose? Sometimes we're going to experience life like a ladder, climbing rung by rung. Each day, each week, each month, each year as we study, we're gonna understand more. We're gonna move a little closer in our faith walk as we learn to stand above the fray. We're gonna hopefully rise and not be as reactive. We're gonna maybe sense a little more the complexity of ourselves and our fears And that's faith as a ladder. And then there's faith as a wrestling match. And as we struggle with our doubts and our hesitations and above all fear that we're not as big as people think that we are or as God wants us to be, out of that experience, we can come out limping. But out of those experiences, we can also discover that we're wrestling with an angel who forces us to find a strength that we didn't know we had. It's our choice. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you for today. And Father, I know we all have fears that we don't want to face. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we all have something in the back of our mind that weighs on us that we wonder, oh, is today the day? Is today the day? It could be a doctor visit. It could be a letter coming in the mail. It could be whatever. It could be a calling. But it's something that weighs and it's something holding us back. Father, help us to walk in faith. Help us to walk without fear. Help us to walk in victory, Lord. And I pray that steps made today will continue to be steps made in victory. And Lord, I'm so thankful for openness and willingness to confront those things in our life, Lord. And that we're here as a body to uphold each other, to pray with each other. And Father, I ask all of this in Yeshua's name. Amen.